Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show offers listeners firsthand insight in starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and informative weekly blog, where you'll read and comment on life as wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. My guest today, Dr. Andre Roca III, has done many things before receiving his medical license. Are y'all ready? He was a geologist engineer working in the hazardous waste division of Tetra Tech in San Francisco, California. There, he managed cleanup investigations and provided expert witness testimony relating to petroleum contamination. Somewhere in his 30s, he had what I call an identity crisis. Coming to God moment. (laughs) And became a licensed masseuse, acupuncturist, shaman, and had the realization that helping people is what he really wanted to do and that the best way to do it was to get a medical license. He moved back to his home of New Orleans, Louisiana, and began medical school at Louisiana State University, LSU. While studying to be a doctor, he continued to work in his field of geology as a senior hydrogeologist for Burke Kleinpeter, again investigating soil and groundwater cleanups in landfills and industrial sites. It was in 1997 that Dr. Henri Roca III graduated from LSU School of Medicine and began his medical practice. Dr. Roca is among the very few physicians in the nation who practice holistic integrative functional medicine. He understands there is little separation between the mind, the emotions, the spirit, and the body. He says, everything that has ever happened to you, every choice you have ever made brings you to the health you have today. I love that. This Louisiana transplant is now working and sharing his knowledge with the good people at Central Arkansas Veterans Administration in Little Rock, Arkansas. And he has opened a private practice in North Little Rock called One Medicine Wellness Services, an apt name. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table a caring teacher, orator, administrator, and community activist, Dr. Andre Roca III. (laughs) Thank you very much, Carrie. That was a wonderful introduction. Life is circuitous, right? It's not a direct line. What was that? What does that word say that again? Circuitous. It doesn't go from one place to another to another. It goes on these like journeys and you end up in a place. That's your life. It's the journey. That's right. It's all of our lives. It's you the journey. You have the longest resume of anybody I think I've ever read outside uh, of General Wesley Clark. Probably the curviest journey as well. It was. <laughs> Lots of different stops along the way. All right. Let's start at the beginning. Let's find out how all of this came to be. Then we'll move into what integrative, holistic, integrative medicine, functional medicine, and Western medicine means each one of them, how we can mesh all of these together to improve our health and lifestyle. I first met you when I heard you speak, and you have a strong opinions about our diet, our habits, the power of prayer meditation, touch therapy, about food as medicine, and about blending all of these aspects with Western medicine, because after all, 
You're a scientist. A scientist and an observer. Observer of, of what makes humans human, of our condition. You know, there's an art to medicine and there's a science to medicine, and we have to use both of those components. And then there's the unknown of medicine. We think we know way more than we actually do about how the human body works. Many of our providers are far more certain than the data would suggest they should be. We have to take that into account. We have to include in our understanding of how a person works and what creates their health. We have to take into account all the facts that we know, but we have to also recognize that those facts change over time and they are just the tip of an iceberg. The human condition is far more filled with mystery and things that are not understood than it is with things that we do understand. And that's one of the reasons why the whole idea of choice and the whole idea of what you think about and how your mind works and how it interacts and cascades into your body, flows into your body, how your spirit works and the connections you have in the world around you, all of that also flows into our body. It turns our genes on, it turns our genes off, and it helps to contribute to either illness or wellness. When did you come to this realization? You're a geologist, you're... <laughs> I started off as a paleontologist, a micropaleontologist. Is that dinosaurs? That, well, micropaleontology is plankton. So yes, it's the other end of the spectrum from dinosaurs. They were really big. And these things you look at under a microscope. You know, my, my thesis was the planktonic foraminifera of the South Atlantic in the Oligocene epoch. Sounds it's awful. just quite the subspecialist, even within paleontology. So I know what it means to take this information and bring it down into smaller and smaller and smaller pieces. But when you do that, you get a lot of information about a specific thing, but it doesn't mean that you understand how the oceans work or the mountains work or how the planet works or how humans work. And so that is part of my journey into healing was the idea that I had known so much about something so specific and I had lost the beauty of the earth because I was a geologist. That's what my initial degree was in. Paleontology is what my master's degree was in. And, and in rediscovering the beauty of the earth, and I have to tell you here in Arkansas is one of those places where I rediscovered it. When I was eight years old, I was digging for crystals in hot springs. Way before the crystal craze started. This was the place where Louisianians came if we wanted to experience elevation. We came to Arkansas. <laughs> it was the closest set of mountains you can find to Louisiana, to New Orleans. And so I fell in love with the earth and rocks here in Arkansas, in hot springs. And, and coming back to that, it's like, wow, look, look at the mystery and the majesty of the earth. I know a lot about it. I can interpret a lot about it, but there's so much more. It's such a bigger thing. And the culture that honors that is Native culture, Native mm -hmm. American culture. Mm -hmm. They honor walking their path on the earth and recognizing nature and recognizing the seasons and how it all comes together and how it fits with the culture of the community and the life of the individual. And in that awareness, I came to the place of shamanism. So shamanism was actually my first step on the healing path. How old were you? How old was I? Uh, 22. So you've graduated from LSU or from, I, get, I don't know, where Washington you your, University. Okay, Washington mm -hmm. University. You get a job in California. A job in New Orleans initially. And so, that's when you start looking into mm -hmm. shaman, did you say shamanism? Yep. That, that mm -hmm. And how did you end up in California? 
So that was um, a job later. I went from working in the oil and gas industry where I was looking for oil reserves down in the deep Gulf of Mexico. And then I moved out to California to follow some folks and went into um, hydrogeology, the geology of water. And then from there went into cleaning up water and into the hazardous waste field, cleaning up oil um, or any other kind of chemicals from soil, groundwater and air. And when you were there, you became a masseuse. Mm -hmm. I went to massage therapy school, continuing this path of understanding and, and experiencing and being with the human condition and the human body. And so massage, I had originally trained in New Orleans, but I actually went and got certified in California. Ultimately, I sat on the West Virginia Board of Massage Therapy when I went for my residency in West Virginia. Later. Later, Yeah. And but so, it all fits together. It did. So I didn't realize you started being, I didn't know there were shamans in New Orleans. I don't know why, but I always think about that as being maybe more in California. Um, uh, so you've, you've, you've began to understand yourself and want to do more than just study science. Mm -hmm. And you've gone to California, you're continuing in your degree with your career, and you've become a masseuse. Acupuncture? Acupuncture came later on. Acupuncture came after I actually became a physician. Oh. And it is one of the best things that I ever did learn. Now, I am a medical acupuncturist, not a traditional Chinese medicine acupuncturist. Those individuals spend as long in school as medical students spend in school. So I am a person who knows how to use acupuncture within the framework of medicine. So just to be clear. Okay, so you, you, you're out there and you all of a sudden say, I've got to go back to medical school. What Was there a life-changing moment that you're like, I'm moving back to New Orleans and I'm starting medical school? School. There was. And, and I actually got deferred from medical school twice. So I had talked to the folks when I was still in New Orleans before I moved to California and said, I'm thinking about this. And, you know, what would it take? And I didn't have any biology. Right? You, no you biology courses it, in, an, in college. A geologist doesn't have any biology? No, but I had paleontology. And okay. paleontology, and this is how I explained it. I said, paleontologists is just the biology of dead things. They said, if you can get a 10 on your MCAT score, we'll accept your paleontology as biology credits. Mm, okay. And so I had to go and do that twice. I had to work at it, right? So if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. So I worked at it. I got it. They remembered the deal. They accepted me. And then for two years in sequence, I was having such a, a good sort of career opportunity in California, I deferred admission to medical school. They said, yeah, that's pretty unheard of. They said, now you can come next year. And they said it again, you can come next year. And the third time I was ready to say, ah, oh, I may not do this. Because you were loving your job in California. Loving somewhere. my job in California. But I came to a family reunion at Mount Nebo. Yes, Arkansas comes into the mix again. Arkansas is a place I come back to all the time. Yeah, so we were at Mount Nebo. I had been listening to this program that Bill Moyers did, one of the first programs about holistic medicine. You know, as I'm driving up to Mount Nebo and Highway 7, beautiful scenery, right? Just there with nature, thinking, okay, I don't know, should I do it? How do I want to do this, right? I mean, I really want to embody natural medicine and natural healing, but I also want my voice to be able to be heard. And, and, and I still really liked what I was doing in California you know, very successful in that career. And so I went up there to Mount Nebo. I said, something big is going to have to happen to me to make mm. this change. Mm. And so one of the first things that happened was my nephew ate a mushroom. It had to be rushed to Little Rock to have his stomach pumped out. 
That was not big enough. That medicine had saved the day there was not big enough. The next day, somebody actually drowned at the pool and was brought back with CPR. Not big enough. The third day, big thunderstorm came up over the mountain, struck the cabin that the whole family was staying at, and three of my relatives got struck by lightning. You know, usually God speaks to you and lightning strikes when you're not listening, but that was not big enough. No. So not big enough. And I told my mama, this was going to have to happen. If this happened, I'd go to medical school. I went back to California. I went back to where I was living. The dog that was there that I was living with, it actually jumped up and bite me in the face. Really, I needed to go get stitches. I told my mama, something's going to have to jump up and bite me in the face to go to medical school. I just got goosebumps. I said exactly that. You've been struck by lightning. No, I hadn't. Family members had. But nevertheless, it happened really close to me, right? And it's like, okay, I get the message. So this is not a choice that I can make. This is a choice. This is is my life's work. This is my path. I need to go to medical school. No kidding. That is your shaman side of your brain working there, baby. That is. It's, you know, when you choose any path that you're on in life, when you choose to step on it, then God shows you the way. You do not listen, then he still shows you the way. Right. So you shake your tree. That's it. Bite mm-hmm. your face. Whatever Sends it is. Sends a lightning bolt, drowns your neighbor. Or uh, what was the first one? Uh, the mushrooms. <laughs> and, or your heart has a hallucination. Yes. <laughs> you know, I never ask anymore for like danger to my body as a sign. No. I don't do that. We've done it once. We don't need to do it again. Wow. This is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the uber interesting Andre Roca the third. Dr. Henri Roga III, who practices and teaches the methodology of functional medicine, holistic medicine, integrative medicine, and Western medicine, and listens to the universe at Central Arkansas Veterans Administration and at his North Little Rock private practice, One Medicine Wellness Services. We'll talk about the issues facing veterans and how he is using integrative functional medicine in their treatment and how some of these treatments might work for us. We'll ask him what he believes is the number one thing we should do to get healthy and some common mistakes we all make in our diets and lifestyle habits. We'll be back to get healthy and informed after the break. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, starting with door-to-door sales and telemarketing to mail order and catalog sales. And now, a third of their sales come via the internet. This past year, Flag and Banner added another internet feature, live chatting. Over time, Carrie's business and leadership knowledge grew. As early as 2004, she began sharing this knowledge on her weekly blog. And in 2009, she founded a nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom. And in 2014, Brave Magazine was launched. Today, she's branched out to the radio with this very production, podcast, and live stream on Facebook. Each week on this show, you'll hear candid conversations between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting and inspiring. If you'd like to ask Carrie a question, share your story, or underwrite any of our past or present shows, send an email to questions at upyourbusiness.org or message her on flagandbanners.com Facebook page. Back to you, Carrie. 
Thank you, Jason. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Andre Roca, who is one of only a few doctors in the nation that practices and teaches the methodology of integrative medicine, holistic medicine, functional medicine, and Western medicine. He is currently on staff at Central Arkansas Veterans Administration and at his own clinic in North Little Rock, Arkansas, aptly named One Medicine Wellness Services. Before the break, we talked about how Andre went from being a geologist, paleontologist, paleontologist to uh, a life-changing event that just jumped up and bit him in the face. That's kind of an inside joke. If you didn't hear it, you'll have to go listen to the podcast <laughs> later. And also how his life just weaves in and out of Arkansas. He's actually from Louisiana, lived in California. You know, one of the great things is that in, in all of this weaving, this, this medicine, the medicine that puts everything together, that's why the business is called One Medicine Wellness mm -hmm. Services, because eventually all of these different forms of healing are going to just be one medicine. We're just going to have it all together. It's when are we going to do that? I wish it'd hurry up and happen. Well, it's happening now. I mean, it's compared to... You're one of few doctors that believes all that. Well, this is true, so I don't need to believe it, but it is true also that it isn't pervasive. It's not across every system, but almost every system now has some idea of integrative medicine. And you were asking, what are these different things, right? So mm -hmm. integrative medicine is, is when you're putting many different components of other healing techniques and perspectives together. So that's using chiropractic or acupuncture or massage or yoga or Tai Chi or different energy things or working with nutrition, working with um, spiritual approaches, all of these things being brought together to to help the individual toward wellness. Integrate all these things together. Integrate them, so all of these pieces, medicine. but okay. it's still pieces being brought together. Okay. You know, the, the wonderful thing about my training, I think of people as if they are a crystal, right? When you look at a crystal from one perspective, you only see one face. If you have many perspectives to look at that person through, it's as if you see many of the facets of the crystal. And by doing that, you get an idea about how the whole works. So if you only look at an individual through one particular lens, whether that's a conventional medicine lens or a Chinese medicine lens or, or a Vedic or homeopathy or whatever it may be, then you're, you're screening all of your information through that lens. If you can see the person from many different perspectives, you have a better chance of seeing the whole person. And that's mm -hmm. holistic. Mm -hmm. When you see the whole person, their mm -hmm. mind, their spirit, their body, how their community interacts, how they interact with their community, you know, how they sleep, even issues around financial wellness, everything that goes on with the person contributes to how that person exists in reality in this moment. Mm -hmm. And everything that they've done over the course of their life turns their genes on and off toward either illness or wellness. And that's the holistic perspective. What about the, that was integrative. What about the functional medicine? So functional medicine is when you're saying, okay, well, instead of looking at all of these different descriptors, all these symptoms, and let's just treat the symptom. Let's treat this itis or that osis or whatever it is. And, and what we do in conventional medicine is we identify those things. We give them a name and then we work to treat them with usually medication. Let's look more deeply. Let's look at how all of these things may be related to some core processes that are not in balance. Mm -hmm. 
and how those processes, those functions contribute to all of these symptoms being created. Let's look even more deeply than that and say what drives those processes to be out of balance? What kinds of choices, what kinds of things have happened over the course of that individual's life? What kinds of genetic predispositions might they have that that lead them in this direction? So genetics would fall into the functional medicine. Genetics area. falls into functional medicine. Life choices, life experiences, life exposures. So functional, into functional medicine, medicine looks at your life and how it's evolved and what you're doing in your habits. And integral medicine looks at how to take all these different applications of acupuncture and diet and integrate them all into your life. Integrate them into your life, integrate them into a therapeutic plan to help you bring your life back to a better place of balance. Functional medicine helps you understand what is out of balance. If you if you use the metaphor of the stove, right, mm -hmm. and you are a pot and you got a lot of stuff boiling, then what are your choices? You could put the lid on the pot, ratchet it down like a pressure cooker. And that's what we do when we put medicine on symptoms. We just try to cap it off, right? Yeah. But the fire is still burning. So the process that's driving that symptom is still going. You may have shut off one symptom, but it's going to pop up someplace else. So Functional with, medicine works to understand what's in the pot and understand what's driving the fire and work to turn that fire off. I when you turn that. that fire off, those symptoms resolve largely on their own. We don't just treat the symptoms. We go to the root of the cause. The root. The root of the root. And when you think you have the root of the root, then you ask the question why and see if there is an even deeper root. It sounds like a lot of psychology goes into this. Every chronic disease is a psychological challenge. Every chronic disease is something that has been created largely, something that's been created by a behavior somewhere along the way. And so any kind of behavior is a question of how does a person's mind work? What are they compelled by? What has, what's been reinforced in their life? And those are psychological questions. I remember when I was watching you speak, a girl said something about her eating habits and um, something, I don't remember exactly what she said, but she attributed uh, her youth having uh, sweets was a, re was a reward for her as a child mm -hmm. and comfort for her and that she was having a hard time breaking away from the comfort of eating chocolate and and and, and, and like you said it it, it come it, the root came from so far back as a reward from her parents that's exactly right and that's why you need to understand the entire history of a person so very often in conventional medicine we do something called the history of the present illness and if you let people talk about it without stopping them they'll talk about 90 seconds at most and do you think that that's the summation of everything you need to know no but with conventional medicine, we're often very happy with just a few pieces of information. When did this symptom start? When did it get worse? Does it get better? And then you work to treat the symptom. Here, yeah. it's like, so what contributed to the creation of that situation? And there you may have to go back way deep in life. You certainly have to know what the family history is. That gives you an idea about the genetics. You have to know what the intrauterine history is. When you were in utero, when you were a little baby in the womb, it goes that far what back. What was going on with your mama that may have changed how your genes work through the course of your life?
Did she get antibiotics? Was there a lot of stress? Did she smoke? Did she use any other kind of substances? Oh, my poor daughter. <laughs> and, and so, yeah. I smoked and was under a lot of stress. <laughs> it, it changes how genes get turned on. And in that critical time, that's a critical time. Of course, mm. we all know that. In that critical time, some of those genes get turned on and they don't get turned off. Sometimes when those genes get turned on early in life, it looks like you can't turn them off. And the best thing you can do is to learn how to cope with that. So to learn coping strategies that help you work around that. Uh, now, if those genes are turned on, like when you're five or six, it uh -huh. looks like those things can be turned off. But early in life, things sort of get hardwired at a point. So you, all this, all this, you came to, you decided you were going to come back to Arkansas and you went to the VA and you tried to get a medical license here at Arkansas and you talked exactly like you're talking now and they just thought you were a quack. I don't know what they thought, okay. but, um, but well, I'll, I'll tell you a short version of that story. They initially thought that maybe they didn't want this kind of medicine practiced in Arkansas. But with the help of national folks at the VA and with the help of folks at UAMS, both of whom they asked to speak to this idea of do we really need to educate our medical students in integrative, holistic and functional medicine? Is this something they need to know? And clearly, every time a human being in this state or anywhere on the planet uses a vitamin, a supplement or an herb on their own, that individual is trying to practice biochemistry. They're trying to figure out how their body works and to use natural things to help them to a better place of health. So the answer is absolutely. We need to train our medical professionals in how this kind of a system works so that we can understand where our population is coming from. Everybody is trying to work to improve their health. Now, there's different kinds of information out there. People find information in different ways. And it's not always a very efficient thing that they choose to do. But nevertheless, everybody's trying to do it. So you got a, you did get your job at you at the VA. Well, I had that job before the license, but yes. Uh -huh. You had the job before the license. Yeah. And then you got your license. Mm -hmm. And now you're, you've been here since 2013. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about the issues facing veterans and how you're treating PTSD and chronic pain and getting them back into the society and our aging veterans. There's so much to talk about veterans. Well, there's so much to talk about there, but I'm going to sort of broaden it out okay. because I was brought in to, to work on issues around pain. Now, okay. this is before the nation was aware of, quote, the opioid crisis, right? So oh. the opioid crisis is something that's only about two years old in terms of the way that the media talks about it. But it was smoldering. It was there for a long time and not by the fault of any individual who was using narcotics, right? right? I mean, people would say, hey, help me with my pain. And the medical system, in order to help with pain, their approach is, well, let's suppress pain. Not let's understand it, not let's try to reverse it, not let's try to give people skills so that it won't be as severe in their life, but let's suppress it. And we have this list of medications to suppress pain. And those were the opioids, narcotic medications. Out there for years and years, the brain makes its own narcotics, and then chemistry found out ways of creating it outside the body, and we could give it to ourselves, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's been out there for years and years, decades and decades. The process of we're just going to suppress it. You don't have to feel it. It's okay. We don't care why it's happening. We can make you not feel it. Now, that was 
never uh, the wisest way, but we didn't have the perspective to understand that within the medical profession. So the medical profession did it, but they didn't know that they were doing something quite as bad as what it turned out Mm -hmm. we were doing. So this was a problem smoldering for years and years. And there are parts of the population that tend to have more pain than other parts of the population. And certainly those people who have issues with trauma tend to have more issues with chronic pain. Now, that trauma can be trauma early in life. Individuals who have early childhood trauma, neglect, mental, physical, sexual, any kind of abuse early in life tend to have more challenges with pain if they experience something that creates pain. And certainly in our veteran population, there is a lot of opportunity for trauma. Not everybody who has trauma has problems with chronic pain. It's not a one-to-one thing, but, but there is often an association. And so the challenge is not how do we suppress it. That is never the challenge. Now, if a person is, is in a really terrible place or a dangerous place, then, you know, you have to control blood pressure so that you don't stroke out, right? That right. is a suppression. Yes. I am totally supportive of that kind yes, of approach. Sure. Um, But the better approach is what can be reversed? Is there anything that can be reversed? What functions are out of balance that can ultimately be worked on from the individual's perspective to bring it back into balance so that so that this glass, if you think of pain as like a glass that is some degree filled, how do we keep from filling it from the top? How do we keep from continuing to put stuff in? And so that is the, the idea of the way that I approach pain in any person. You give them uh, acupuncture? I mean, you're trying to get them off of, off of you know, hydrocodone. So how do you... I'm Look, smiling. You see, I'm smiling. I know. It's Why like, are you I'm grinning smiling, at me like right? that? <laughs> because it's not that there's no simple answer. Well, there's, there's no simple answer. But even that thought is, how do we take pain away? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and that's what oh, got us into the problem. Exa- that's exactly what got what us I was into doing. the problem of like, okay, we'll give them a narcotic. So you want to teach them to live with it? Well, there is teaching to live with it, but there is also the idea of how do we reverse what can be reversed, which is not a question of taking it away, not a question of suppressing it. It's a question of rebalancing things so that that glass becomes less filled. If that makes sense, you repair it. You're not treating the symptoms again. You're treating the problem. Treating the, trying to understand what's driving the problem. And for every individual, that will be a different possibility, right? We all, we call it all pain. Well, I know what the number one thing is you're going to tell people to do, lose weight, and they're not going to do it. Or exercise, and they're not going to do it. I mean, we just, us humans, Americans are just, are just trained to take a pill for it. Well, that is true. That's but, our, you know, you our, asked folks the question, where has it gotten you? And most people will tell you not where they want to be. So they are receptive to That's changing their lifestyles? Not because anyone is ever told to do it. Whenever you tell anybody to do something, you evoke the two-year-old in every one of us. Mm-hmm. And what happened when we were two and someone told us to do something? The answer is no. Right. Just like you said, no, no, no. So it's never you need to do this. It's like there's lots of opportunities here. What are you ready to do? And people are often thinking about 
what they might do, but they're wondering if is it the right thing to do or do I have to do it alone? Is there support to do this? Is there somebody to help me do this? And when you give someone a lot of opportunities, a lot of options to choose from and a lot of support to go in the direction that they choose, then you can get sustainable change. But here's a question for you. Okay. Is pain a thing? For me? In general. I mean, yeah, it's a thing. I mean, it is a thing. Is it a tangible thing? No, but it is a real thing. So sensation is a thing. Oh. But pain is an experience. Silence, right? I mean, that's I'm shocking. I'm trying to think about that's that. That's a shocking thing to say, right? But, pain is an experience. So, so pain is not one thing because the if we say pain is one thing, that implies that it is something and it is predictable in each person who experiences it. And if we think that pain's a thing, it leads us to the thought that, well, then we just need a pill for this thing, which was the problem before. We thought that pain was a thing. We had a pill, the narcotics. We said, throw it at everybody, regardless of what's going on with them. And that'll help everybody, right? And what we find out is addiction and death and people become tolerant to it and need higher dosages. And, and it isn't the same for everybody. So pain is an experience. It's an experience based on having this sensation that people would find uncomfortable, maybe want to move away from. But it isn't just the sensation. It's all the things that can contribute to pain. Maybe those are hormonal, maybe it's nutritional, maybe it has to do with inflammation or toxins mm -hmm. or infections. All of that gets thrown in there. Right now, that's not the pain, but yet if you see pain as a thing, you never think to look more deeply and say, okay, well, let's unwind that because it isn't really one thing. It is the final common interpretation of a whole series of things that are going on. And then you throw the interpretation in there. What's the interpretation? It's everything you've ever experienced that's caused you pain and all the things you're concerned about because of it, whether it's dysfunction or not being able to relate to your family or not being able to keep a job. It's all of those worries and anxieties and fears come into the picture. And all of that is balled up, messed up and jumbled up into all of these other inputs that come from the body. And then you interpret it and say, is it something that I can live with or not live with? Do I need to avoid it? How am I going to avoid it? Do I pursue medication to avoid it? It's an experience. It's an interpretation. If you see pain as an experience and an interpretation, there's a lot of opportunity to actually work to reverse components of it and to help people refine how they choose to view it. Very often, if this continues on and on and on and it grows into this big old knot, this huge snowball rolling downhill, then people start to avoid any kind of sensation because of fear that the sensation will be strong enough that it will cause their previous experience. And then you don't live life. You don't live life. Your primary relationship comes to be with that sensation and not with the people you love. You get separated from God. You don't go out into nature. And, and yes, you, you live in a hole. And become reclusive. You see it all the time. We've been thinking of pain as a noun. As a thing, as a specific thing. And, and usually people think of it as the pain, which means like a proper noun. Mm -hmm. You know, just like you would have a name for your wife or your husband. Mm -hmm. and, and this, the pain, tends to sort of accompany you. Mm -hmm. 
I know people get lost in the VA and they can't figure out where they're supposed to go. In any system. Any of those it's, big systems. It is, um, it is wonderful, everything that the VA has to offer. And mm -hmm. just like any system, navigating it becomes almost a, a second career. It does, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I don't know how anybody survives a conventional healthcare system. If you go into the hospital, you need somebody there who can talk the language or you are more subjected to it than you are served by it. Oh, that's interesting to think about. All right, let's talk about opening your practice. You have uh, One Medicine Wellness Services, which is the name of your practice. What's the website uh, for that? DrHenriRoca.com. And Henri is spelled like him. With an I. It's the New Orleans version. It is the French version. I know. H E N R I, last I, name R O C A. Where else in this country could you have a name that's both French and Spanish and still be entirely American? <laughs> Henri, H-E-N-R-I. And when he came in, I called him Henry. He said, no, 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 no. no I'm no. Henri. Yes, that's the real Henri. thing. So you've heard me slip a few times because I'm totally American. I'm not as civilized. As well, you know, New Orleanians are totally American, too. I know. <laughs> no, they're a nice blend of French. So of course, most people think we're sort of not, but we really are. They're uh -huh. a nice blend of French. Ameri you know, they've got some nice French, some very unique French things about them. Um, and what do you, and, and at your clinic, you say this, we provide individual and corporate personalized, proactive, predictive medical evaluations and treatments focused around natural interventions that help folks, I love how you put folks, toward their best health. And I think we've talked about that a little bit when we described Functional medicine? It is functional medicine. That is a description of functional medicine. Personalized, proactive. You don't wait for a disease to occur, right? Nothing drives me more crazy than a person who you can see in looking at them, their family history, their choices in their lives. And you can see that they are on the road to diabetes. And yet in our usual healthcare system, very often we wait until they can be diagnosed with diabetes to tell them. And it can be years and years and years before any lab changes that you can predict that they're on the diabetes highway. When and you do lab work, you don't do the traditional lab work, do you? I do all the traditional lab work, but often check some additional labs, additional labs that help me be more predictive, that help understand what's going to be happening to a person and help to identify some of those functions that may be out of balance. Things about metabolism, things about inflammation, things about toxicity. Even before they become a problem in the person's life, we want to optimize wellness. So we don't want to just say, oh, you're good enough today. Let's wait until later when we have something to intervene on. We want to say, you know, these are some processes you might want to think about. And these are some ways to do it. And, and you know, this is your choice. If you want to work toward wellness, this is a great time to do it. If you want to wait and use up that wellness and eventually lose the resiliency and develop illness, that is also your choice. So if I come to your clinic, mm -hmm. which my daughter did, and she loved it because um, she suffers really bad from allergies. Mm -hmm. And you said exactly what you talked about earlier in a segment before. She probably can't completely get rid of them. So she's got to learn how to manage them. Um, but I can't I don't know what the first thing was that you had her do. What is the first thing if I was to come to your clinic and say, this is my issue. 
what should I do? Well, on the website is an intake form that people can fill out, which is usually very helpful for the individual. It starts to broaden their perspective on the kinds of things that may be important. There are questions that people don't usually ask, that they often have to ask parents or loved ones and find out what happened on early on in their childhood. Everything is important. Everything that's happened leads you to where you are now and can be a piece of what can be unwound so that you get to a better place. So that's one thing that people can do before they arrive. But the first thing we do is we take a very detailed history, very detailed. The family history is pretty usual within medical practice. That's Mm -hmm. usual. But then the uterine history, history, very rare. We're talking about early childhood, middle childhood, late childhood, early adulthood, all of these things that may not be related to what the complaint is, Mm -hmm. is very important. We identify what the individual wants to get out of the service. So what's their goal? Right. I mean, once I hear their history, there may be other things that are apparent to me, but we want to deal with what the individual came for. My challenge is to put it all together so that we understand how all of these other things are relating to what the individual came for. And and the approach is something uh, that we call health coaching. So in other words, it's much more focused on empowering the individual to make decisions and changes. Now, if something like I said earlier, high blood pressure, you know, you control that. You mm-hmm. you are very directive. You need to take this and, mm-hmm. and I will do that if it's urgent or emergent. But what's much more common is that we have time. We have time to work on these things and it will take time for these functions to get back to a better place of balance. So the question is not about my telling a person what to do. Mm-hmm. The question is, This is what I call a possibility conversation. If we understand how a person winds up in this place, quite literally, then there is a constellation, a whole bunch of possible ways out. I can help identify which ones I think will be the highest yield so that Mm -hmm. if you work at it, you get the best results most quickly. But ultimately, it's the individual who chooses what they're ready to work at. How about the power of prayer? Absolutely essential. Now, when I talk to folks about about their spiritual tradition, it's not about their religious tradition, Mm -hmm. because everybody has a different religious tradition. And whatever your religious tradition is, is fine by me. It is whatever you choose it to be. What I'm concerned with is how do you connect to whatever you perceive as your higher power? How are you connected to a larger community? Some folks don't even see that connection. They are who they are, and they are the end all and be all. And that's fine. And there's a particular way of working with individuals who who have that perspective. So there's no one excluded from the process. But we know that when people are connected to community, we know when people have a prayer practice, have a religious practice, that the health outcomes for those folks are better overall. Their life expectancy is better overall. To be part of a faith community is a protective health experience for folks because the power of the because prayer is so important and a lot of people they do what's called petitionary prayer, right? Okay. And they're asking God for things. And my question to folks is, well, do you ever pause and be in a place of silence? so that you can hear what God has to say back. And that is the most important piece of prayer. 
And I like to put it in those words because everyone can translate that into their own perspective, what that means for them, to be able to be quiet and prayerful and contemplative and reflective um, and loving in that space to hear whatever can come back. That is a tremendously healing component of prayer. Laughter, laughter is amazing, right? Laughter, laughter is one of those things that can control pain. Because laughter induces the body to release the hormones that the body makes itself to control pain. Laughter is an amazing thing. It can relieve stress, relieve tension. It can take you out of any kind of stressful moment that you're in. And it doesn't have to be like spontaneous laughter. Like somebody tells you a joke, it tells you a funny story, or you watch the Three Stooges or something funny on TV. You can do something called laughter yoga where people just start laughing. And, you know, people got all kind of silly, crazy little laughs. And before long, people are literally belly laughing, not because they're making themselves do it, but because they start making themselves do it. And because they're with a group of people and all these other people laughing in all kind of weird ways, you end up laughing spontaneously and deeply. And when that happens, it lifts your spirit. It relieves pain. It helps you sleep. It is a wonderful therapy. Laughter yoga. Is a great way to get to it. We didn't get to reflexology. We didn't get to uh, diet, exercise. Uh, There are so many things we didn't get to, but I do love your quote. Everything that has ever happened to you, every choice you have ever made brings you to the health you have today. I want everybody to know that I'm speaking with Dr. Andre Roca from, uh, what's the name of your clinic again? One Medicine Wellness Services. One Medicine Wellness Services, and that he is also online at Mm DrAndreRoca.com, right? I have a gift for you. It's a desk set, flags, imagine that. And look, it's got the U.S., because, of course, we're all Americans. Right there in the center. Oh, my God. Look, it's all the flags that I've been to. You recognized them all. California, Louisiana, and Connecticut because you taught in Connecticut. Yes, that is is absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to put this on my desk. This is great. Thank you so much for coming on. We're out of time today. I just want to thank all our listeners for spending time with us. And if they think this program has been about them, they're right. But it's also been for us. Thank you for letting us fulfill our destiny. Our hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it. Whatever it is will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. If you miss any part of the show or want to learn more about UIYB, go to FlagandBanner.com and click on Radio Show. Like us on Facebook or subscribe to her weekly podcast wherever you like to listen. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week with links to resources you heard discussed on today's show. Underwriting opportunities available upon request. Carrie's goal is to help you live the American dream.